We know the fact that Matthew is interested in the kingdom. Why? He's helping people to understand that there's a place where they belong. The Father had intended that from the very beginning. So you're not a disenfranchised person. You're part of the kingdom. Welcome to this week's first-person interview, and our guest, singer-songwriter and Bible teacher Michael Card, is going to lead us in a conversation about the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you're listening on radio, we are grateful for the many stations who now carry First Person, and I hope that you'll take the time to thank your station. If you're listening online or with our smartphone app, take a moment to let others know how easy it is to catch each week's interview at your convenience. And a special thank you to the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support in making this program possible. Learn more about FEBC's mission of taking Christ to the world by radio and new media at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, back at Christmas time, we announced that we would be talking with Michael Card several times this year. And today, we launched that series by turning to the book of Matthew. And we'll place a link to Michael's book, Matthew, the Gospel of Identity, at firstpersoninterview.com. Our conversation took place at the studio at Mole End in Tennessee, where Michael has recorded music through the years. Well, Mike, once again, it is great to be with you. Yeah, Thank you for uh, sitting down. Uh, our plan is that throughout this coming year that we'll have these conversations periodically and over the course of the year that we will cover all four of the Gospels, which you've written about individually. Yeah, Lord so willing. Lord it willing. fits in very nicely. Yeah. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. This is what we used to do yeah. on a weekly basis with a radio program. And Yeah, uh, I miss that. I miss that. So it's lot. not a new idea, but yeah. I really uh, miss those times together and look forward to this yeah. opportunity. Well, so, good. Thank so you. So let's talk about Matthew here today. Yeah. As you know, this program is about a person's story mm-hmm. uh, and calling. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I want to hear about Matthew and what you've learned about mm-hmm. Matthew and can teach us, and then what we learn about Jesus from from Matthew and yeah. later the other gospel writers. Okay. Well, well, the first place is that Matthew's not his name. It's Matthew Levi. Yeah. Le- well, Levi's his name. Matthew's the name I think Jesus gives to him. I think Jesus had names for all the disciples. We don't know all of them, but I think part of the camaraderie, the whole, you know, Boanerges, Sons of Thunder, and that sort of thing. Uh, Matthew means gift of God, and I think that was an ironic name for Matthew. I don't think he ever thought of himself as a gift of anybody, right? <laughs> he was tax collector means he would have been, you know, ostracized. That has been probably over-preached. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's yeah. the first thing that comes to our mind when we yeah. think of Matthew, but is that as you say, overdone. Yeah. Well, we, we do know from later Jewish writings that, you know, that, that uh, tax collectors were included with, you know, adulterers and murderers. So it, was, it wasn't good. <laughs> but if you look at all, kind of pile up all the ancient sources, there are very few complaints about tax collectors. You know, we have that little insight, you know, in uh, they come to John the Baptist and, you know, the tax collectors say, well, what should we do? And he says, well, stop you know, overcharging people. So they're clearly doing that sort of thing. But in chapter nine, when Matthew has the party at his house, the Pharisees won't go in because, so he's, he's clearly looked upon as being unclean, Mm -hmm. but not, maybe not the pariah, not the Simon Legree, you know, that we think of usually as tax collectors. He's just, he's working with the Romans, right? He's a sympathizer. Uh, He's doing his job. Yeah, just doing his job, right? Yeah. Josephus tells us that from that province, the Romans expected, I think, $3 $3 million or something a year, the equivalent. So Matthew's part of his job is he's been given the authority 
to collect money from people, and there are very few, if any, guidelines. And so, but if he's going to keep, you know, keep from having his throat cut, you know, which happens to lots of tax collectors, he's going to have to uh, uh, be as fair-minded as he can. So mm-hmm. we know that, uh, or we believe that uh, he has a brother named, named James uh, in two different accounts, uh, listings of the disciples. In one account, Matthew is listed as the son of Alphaeus, but then in another account, James, there's a James, the son of Alphaeus. So there's a chance that he he's there with his brothers, which means that half of the disciples are it's three sets of brothers, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's this relationality that happens there. Uh, the only words uh, from the sources, the ancient sources we have, uh, Eusebius says that Matthew collected the logia, sayings of Jesus. And when you look, just take a red-letter Bible. Again, this is not rocket science. <laughs> you take a red-letter Bible and flip quickly through the pages of Matthew. A lot more is read there, huh? Absolutely. And what you'll find is five big blocks of the sayings of Jesus. So, you know, that works out pretty well. And that makes sense, doesn't it? A collector collecting, mm-hmm. you know, you know, person who's documenting. Good at, yeah. Documenting. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. That's that's what that's what you would expect and that's that's who he is. One of the qu- big questions then I think about Matthew, if you re- if you read it closely, it's the most Jewish of all the Gospels. I mean, What's the evidence for that? Well, everything Jesus does has to be substantiated from the prophets. I mean, Jesus moves, right? <laughs> he moves to Nazareth. Well, this was to fulfill the prophecy that he'll be called a Nazarene. So uh, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, um, see, I, I, I don't tend to think, I think Matthew provided the lists, the collections of the sayings of Jesus. Then I think another person who who was perhaps a rabbi, very, very astute in terms of Judaism and the way Judaism, uh, the way Judaism teaches the Bible through uh, what are referred to as midrash. Commentary is called midrash. And people will say, that's basically Matthew is midrash. Now, this is new to me. Yeah. Go, well, over, this, go over this again. It, it's kind of an old, it's it, the, that, the, 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 the Jewishness of the gospel of Matthew is, is a kind of an old idea, but trying to understand, um, and again, none of the gospels are signed. So we don't know if Matthew wrote Matthew. We have very reliable tradition, and I believe that Matthew contributed those sayings. But uh, you know, you've just got to you've got to believe that the worst Jew in of the twelve wrote the most Jewish gospels. Now, really smart people, D. A. Carson, who's probably smarter than all of us put together, he believes that Matthew kind of embraced his Judaism and had a change of heart. And you know, quite who, possible. Yeah, who am I to disagree with you know, D. A. Carson? <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I, I think there may be two people that are involved in, in Ma- the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is very interested in uh, in Galilee. I call it the Gospel of Galilee, and he's very interested in uh, in, in 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 Jesus defining uh, who we are as the followers of Jesus. Only Matthew says you're the light of the world, and, and Jesus and Matthew says you're the light of the world, and John Jesus is the light of the world, and he is. But in Matthew, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. That's only in Matthew. Yeah. Uh, the, the Beatitudes in Matthew, Jesus is really describing this community of people. So, again, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, I think Matthew is writing to a group of Jews who are still part of Judaism, right? Mm. And uh, they're in the synagogue, and they're being kicked out of the synagogue, and he's, he's writing to let them know who they are. This doesn't pertain to just Matthew, but what is your take on why we have these different accounts 
from the four gospel writers? Well, I mean, I think the the ninety percent answer is, you know, it's it's a thing of the Holy Spirit. You know, there these four different people. It's like eyewitnesses when you when, at the scene of a crime, you get different stories or different aspects. Yeah, of different, the story. different. Well, I say I, call, I say new nuanced. They're all nuanced. I mean, what, what if we had horribly? I mean, what if we just had one account, that would be horrible. What if we had four identical ones? Well, that would be kind of just as bad. So mm-hmm. no, but what we have is we have Matthew who's writing to Jewish people helping them understand this new identity they have in, in being followers of Jesus. We have Luke writing to marginalized people and, and women and probably the slave community, letting them know that Jesus has turned the world upside down. We have Mark writing to people that are suffering persecution in Rome. He wants them to know that you're not going to suffer anything that Jesus hasn't suffered. Are your parents ridiculing you? Do you, your parents think you're crazy? Well, guess what? Turn to Mark 3. You know, Jesus' mother thinks he's out of sure. his mind, that sort of thing. And then John, I think, um, he caps he caps it off for most of us. John's our favorite gospel. John is this person who, uh, looking back, I mean, Peter and Paul have been dead for 30 years by the time John writes this gospel. The temple's destroyed, right? Everything's changed by the time John writes. And he has this uh, wonderful high view of who Jesus is and 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 that every time Jesus tried to say something uh, spiritual, uh, he was completely misunderstood. John looks back after all those years, and he still can't understand how they missed it, what our eyes have seen, what our hands have touched, you know, the word of life. And yet he comes to his own, and his own don't receive him. Okay, we'll get into that later this okay. year when we talk about John specifically. What else do we know about Matthew as, as a person, as a disciple? Well, again, we know he was a tax collector. Uh, there are implications to that. Uh, he's very marginalized, um, and yet Jesus calls him to be a disciple. Um, and there's a, there's a collection of miracle stories early in the in the the Gospel of Matthew. In the in the middle of that collection, in chapter nine, is Matthew's own story of of becoming a follower of Jesus. Jesus walks up to the tax table and says, "Follow me," and he. Uh, he leaves more probably than any of the rest of them to do in terms of financial gain and that sort of thing. He walks away, and they have a party. He gives, throws a party at, at his house for Jesus. He's fairly well off. Luke describes it as a banquet. It's a big banquet, um, uh, and it's there that there's this conflict between Jesus uh, Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, but I think Matthew includes that that story in the midst of those miracle stories because him Becoming a follower of Jesus is the biggest miracle, you know, he he, he can think of. Mm-hmm. In your book on Matthew, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you characterize the Gospel of Matthew? Well, I, I, again, I think Matthew is written to to Jewish to to Jewish believers. We we actually are beginning to believe there are there are Christian synagogues. That's a mind that, blower. Yeah, right? it is. In fact, one of the one of the really new ideas is that big marble synagogue in Capernaum, that one that we all have seen the pictures of. Right, a lot of people have begun to believe. That was a synagogue that was built by Christian Jews, a Christian Jewish synagogue. Uh, I mean, what's what's the first big question the church has to deal with? Can you even be a Christian and not be a Jew, mm-hmm. right? So what? But what happens is right around the time of the destruction of the temple, um, Judaism, which had been very fragmented, uh, Judaism is lots of things in Jesus' day. It's not one thing. So very fragmented: Levites, priests, Sadducees, Essenes followers of John the Baptist, seven different kinds of Pharisees, followers of Jesus, and nobody agrees on anything. They don't agree on the canon. They don't agree on resurrection. don't agree on angels. They seem to all agree on the Sabbath. That's about the only thing they everyone agrees on. 
But um, what happens is Judaism becomes one thing after the destruction of the temple. And one of the things it has to do when it becomes one thing is get the Christians out. And Matthew is writing to a group of people who, who re- they really don't know who they are anymore. Because if you're a Jewish person and you're kicked out of Jewish life, no Jewish person can talk to you or give you food or anything like that. Of course, Matthew understands those people very well because that's what his life has been like. And so Matthew is writing to these Jewish Christians in Galilee, I think, and telling them who they are because they don't know who they are anymore. Really interesting. And we'll continue this conversation with Michael Card on the Gospel of Matthew coming up in a moment. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. As you listen to this week's edition of First Person, can I remind you to take a moment and visit the webpage, firstpersoninterview.com? Click on the FEBC banner there, and you'll hear stories of God at work in the lives of people touched by the programs produced by our dedicated staff. We take Christ to the world through radio and new technology. For more, go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for FEBC. My guest today is Michael Card. Michael is a Bible teacher. Uh, you may know him for his music, of course, but Bible teaching is a big part of your life these days, it is. Mike. And it is. So we are taking uh, several conversations throughout this year to focus on the Gospels. You've written a book on each of the four Gospels, mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're kind of loosely basing these conversations on those books. And you have other books coming out that we'll keep our listeners informed about mm-hmm. as well. You're teaching at Biblical Imagination conferences. You're right. taking tours to Israel these days. Yep. It doesn't sound like life is slowing down for you at all. No, I, mean, I think you and I were talking about this in both of our lives. We're kind of working harder now you know, than, we, than we've ever worked before, which is a good thing. <laughs> now, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah, I'll, take, I'll take that one. It's a good thing. Yeah. Well, say a word about uh, going to Israel from time to time. Well, first word is I do not want to become a tour guide of Israel. You know, it's a long. <laughs> but you approach it differently. I well, think. Uh, we do approach it differently, but it's a long trip over there, and uh, I, yeah, you I, love airplanes. Oh so. uh, yeah, I, I do it because I first of all I, I love to be with people who are, you know, excited about the life of Jesus, and so we our our, our trip we we don't take more than thirty people. We those trips should be small. Uh, they have to study two hundred fifty pages of information before they go, so it's a no before you go trip. And we have a wonderful uh, a Jewish Christian guide who, uh, I mean, he knows Judaism and, and, and the period of Jesus' life, unlike anybody I think I've ever known. And so, yeah, we spend 10 days. We look at Jesus' life chronologically. We start in Jerusalem and talk about the birth, Bethlehem, and who Herod was, that sort of thing. Then we go to Galilee and spend most of our time in Galilee. But then we come back to Jerusalem to do the, the death, burial, and the resurrection. So it's chronological. We don't do Old Testament stuff. We just do New Testament stuff. So it's it's. I think it's the best trip. It's the best study trip that I can think of. You mentioned a few minutes ago about the uh, the Christian uh, synagogue. Yeah. Uh, in Capernaum. Yeah. That's a new idea. Now some people can yeah, hear I, that and okay. go, "What All are right. you talking All right. about?" Well, I, you know, I think we're processing that. Well, and thinking people about smarter that. than us have proposed that, <laughs> okay. Wayne. So All that's right. how I say it. <laughs> so you, you're going to hide behind them, huh? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, but that's a place you've been to. Yeah, uh, and and the interesting thing is, like, you'll go and you'll see. Uh, the 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 foundations of the synagogue uh, that G- uh, the the um, the centurion donated are there. These black basalt. I've seen photos of that, but you've walked right. on those. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been there. But but what happens is this big marble, and they haul that marble in. I mean, this is 
It's not local. Oh, unbelievable the work that would, would go into this kind of a thing. But anyway, they bring this thing in, and if you look closely, they have almost precisely built the marble. Uh, found, they preserved the foundations, and there's no real reason to other than they revered the synagogue. And the really interesting thing is if you look at the front step, they have cut the marble around the step so the the, the new, new, you know, the the 1,800-year-old <laughs> right. building, uh, the new step doesn't touch the old step. Oh. And there's this new idea, once again, by some scholars, that this, they so revered this spot that they kept that original foundation and they built built it around it because this was the synagogue that Jesus had done so many remarkable things in. Capernaum. And that's the insight you get from actually being there. Yeah, and you and you actually see the evidence. You go, wow, that's interesting. Now, am I going to go and argue that with somebody? No, because don't ever argue about what the Bible's not dogmatic about. But it's it's a very interesting idea. And there are else elsewhere in in Israel, they have found synagogues that seem to you know have some Christian symbols and that sort of thing. And they okay. think, well, there are Christian Jewish synagogues. Well, of course, I'll have more information on the website for this program about how people get in touch with you and learn more about those trips and about the Biblical Imagination Conferences, and Mm -hmm. all of that will be on the website. Thank you. Our focus today is on the Gospel according to Matthew. Yes. And we've talked about Matthew as a person, and Mm -hmm. I like to do that with people and their stories here on this program. I like to talk about calling. What do we learn about Jesus, specifically from Matthew, that we don't an aspect of, of, of Jesus' life and ministry we don't really get in the other Gospels. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, there there's some stories that you, that are unique. Uh, that's what you got to do. I mean, part of the part of the 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 method, this biblical imagination method, is you got to learn to listen to the detail of Scripture. Right, you've got to learn to you've got to learn to ask who the author is, like we just did. We got to learn to ask what the life situation was, as far as we can determine it. But then one of the things you do is you listen to what it doesn't say, things that are left. What are, what what does Matthew leave out, and uh, and and then what is unique? What what does only Matthew tell us? And um, yeah, did you know that the entire Gospel of Mark is in Matthew except forty four verses? <laughs> Mark is in Matthew except 44 verses. So what does that mean? That means the writer of Matthew has the gospel of Mark. And Mark is Peter's gospel, right? Mm -hmm. We we, we know that from uh, Eusebius. So, uh, but the interesting thing is Matthew will will take one of those stories uh, from Mark and um, he will uh, do something different with it. He usually cuts it shorter, but then he'll add uh, add, uh, more teaching. Not not adding, you know, not he remembers things that Mark doesn't remember. Mm-hmm, Don't please mm-hmm. please understand. I'm not playing, you know, free and easy with the Bible that way. And and what he usually adds uh, is something having to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is very important to Matthew. Yes. yes. Um, but then again, you always stop and you say, well, why? Why is that? Is it because he's he's so interested in? in uh, Judaism and the things of well, uh, he know. left and serving an earthly kingdom, a- absolutely. And and again, I as I believe, I think he's talking to people who've been disenfranchised. They, you know, you know the you know the phrase "you're dead to me." Yeah, that comes from Judaism. You know, if you if you convert to Christianity from Judaism, some in Orthodox places they'll even put up a, a, a headstone: "You're dead, right? You're dead to me." And I think Matthew is writing to a group of people like that who. And we know the details about about what happened and uh, after after the destruction of the temple, uh, when Judaism was becoming one thing, uh, a collection of blessings, uh, benedictions were written, uh, 
and they're called the 18 benedictions and they're still recited in synagogues today on the on the sabbath and one of those benedictions is a curse on the christians number 12 is a is a curse on the the minim those are the heretics and the nazarenes we know who the nazarenes mm-hmm. are they're the follower of jesus right. so what happens is with with the with the addition of that benediction um these people that Matthew's writing to, who, I mean, I'm a Jewish person. I found the Messiah. This is awesome. Well, all of a sudden, it's not so awesome, right? And you're being kicked out. And uh, and so Matthew wants him to know, you. no, you are part of a kingdom of which Jesus is the king. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're the light of the world, yeah. right? Don't hide that light. You're tempted to hide it now in your culture, right? Because you've been beat, kind of beat up on you're the salt of the world. Don't don't let don't lose that saltiness. See? It's so interesting how the personalities of the of the uh, gospel writers uh, come through in each of them. They they really do, don't they? If we look deeply enough, we see that. Yeah, and 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 I think one of the things that oddly they all have in common is that they're all concerned about a group of people. I mean, that's that's what you do. That's what Bill Lane I think taught the world to do is he would read Paul's letters and and say, well. There's this problem, and Paul's writing to this problem, and so he says this and this and this. And I think it's a little bit harder, but you can do the same thing with the Gospels. You know, So again, we know the fact that Matthew is interested in the kingdom. Why? What does that mean? Well, I think he's helping people to understand that they, there's a place that, where they belong, and Jesus had intended that from the very—in fact, the, the Father had intended that from the very beginning. So yeah. you're not a disenfranchised person. You're part of a kingdom. One of the things about Matthew is that we get the commissioning mm-hmm. at the end of Matthew. The, the, we call it the Great Commission. Right. Why just in Matthew? Well, gee, I don't know if I've, I've ever thought of that, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I, what I, I, I did discover. That's not at the ascension. Most of us think Jesus does the Great Commission, then he ascends. That's No, he does the Great Commission in Galilee. In fact, it's in Matthew that the angel says, tells the women, tell the disciples to meet me back in Galilee. Okay, I'm, so, I'm getting this kind of straightened out in my mind right now. Yeah, well, it's it's a complicated, the, post, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus are complicated. They go So they go back to Galilee. We have John 21. We have that second mm-hmm. miraculous catch of fish in Galilee. We have the Great Commission that happens in Galilee. But then they go back to Jerusalem, and, he, um, and that's where the, the ascension happens from the Mount of Olives. And then he says, wait here, you know, to, for the Holy Spirit to come. But the Great Commission is there in Matthew. The and great, I mean, it's I mean, so, so significant. Well, it, it's outlining what the mission is going to be from that time on. And maybe, again, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, which is always a very dangerous thing to do <laughs> on radio. But, you know, again, I'm going back to my model. If this is a group of people, a disenfranchised group of people, who it's being they're being told who they are. Well, they're also being told, okay, and this is what you need to do. This is what you need to need to be about. You know, preach the gospel to all, to, to all the nations, that sort of thing. Well, I wish we had far more time to sit and talk with Michael Card about the Gospel of Matthew, but hopefully today's conversation has whetted your appetite to learn more. Read Matthew for yourself with these insights in mind that we talked about, and then also get a copy of Mike's book, Matthew, the Gospel of Identity. We'll place a link at firstpersoninterview.com. Also, if you'd like to comment on this program or others in our series on First Person, please make use of our Facebook page. It's easy to find at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Each week, this program is made possible with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, who loves to have God's Word taught on the radio. That's what FEBC does in nearly 50 countries of the world through the radio and Internet. Learn more about how you can support FEBC. Go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for more. 
Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us next time for First Person. Thank you.